We're speaking with two chief marketing officers from Silicon Valley to learn their digital strategies. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst. Thanks so much for watching CXO Talk. Tim Matthews, tell us about Exabeam. Exabeam is a security software company. We are trying to disrupt the security management marketplace. We're a mid-sized company going up against uh, a couple billion dollar giants. Mark, tell us about Influx Data. We're a time series database. Um, so sort of a specialized database that does a really good job of analyzing and looking at IoT type data or machine data from DevOps. So you're both in uh, different spaces, but it's both enterprise software. And so our focus today is going to be on business to business marketing as opposed to consumer. Yes, enterprise, but I, the route to market for me is through the developer. Tim, how is the, what is the, the, the route to market for you? In our case, we're selling to the IT department, specifically the security team, typically in uh, larger companies. But in both cases, you're selling to a, a, a relatively uh, technical audience. I'd say very technical audience, yeah. Tim, as the CMO of Exabeam, give us a sort of broad overview of, of your areas of focus and priority. So as I mentioned, we're an upstart trying to disrupt some uh, very large companies and IBM and Splunk for those who know those two companies. So my two primary areas are to raise awareness of Exabeam so that buyers of our software are even aware of us. And then my probably number one priority is driving pipeline to so making sure there's enough pipeline for our sales reps to be able to hit their quotas for the company to hit our number. So pipeline is the, is the primary set of activities and that's where where your time and budget is spent? Yeah, so people would call that demand generation. And I say pipeline because I measure my demand not in leads, but in dollars. Mark, how about how about you? How does where are your areas of priority and how does that compare to the things that Tim was just talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of funny. I was like um, smiling. If you, um, it, it's exactly the same. A number one uh, category creation, we call it, um, you know, get our names on the map, but even just get people aware that there is a better way of solving a metric and event problem. And number two is pipeline. And you know, as Tim said, it's, it's don't care. Obviously, in some way, I care about leads and MQLs and all the great acronyms that are out there, but it's about pipeline. If we're not creating pipeline, um, uh, yeah, they'll find another CMO they can. And if I could add, you know, Mark and I have a little bit of a different job because you know, he just mentioned category creation. So he's got, in some ways, a harder job because he has to convince people they even need what he's selling. In my case, uh, as I said, we're going after an existing market with a, a newer technology, a better way. So we're having to prove that we're better than the incumbents. If we were to, to roll this up at a high level, is it accurate to say that what you're both trying to do is stand out for the noise? And is that maybe just too obvious a way of looking at it, too, too simplistic? I mean, I, I think marketing in general is a competition for eyeballs, right? It's a competition for for mindset. So I think at a ask any marketing person, I think that's the same thing. I think, but what's to me was interesting from both of us was we hold ourselves accountable to a pipeline number, which is very different from an eyeball number. So yes, you've got to get eyeballs to eventually get to pipe, but it is that you've got to have that focus to where you're trying to get someone to, as opposed to just going. Oh, I had 10,000 leads. And I think that's sort of the old way of doing marketing it was very much activity-based marketing as opposed to results-based marketing. And, and I'd say too that um, 
you know, not, not I wouldn't say stand out for the noise. There, there is definitely a lot of noise in, in my market, which is the security, the cybersecurity market. But I like to think of it as meeting the buyer where they are when they're ready. So I need to be there when, whether it's Google or an event, whatever it happens to be, I need to be there to solve their problem. And, you know, for a lot of small companies, it's a challenge when they don't know you already. They're not looking for you necessarily. How do you make sure you're in the place where they're looking to do research or actually make a purchase decision? Let's drill down on these issues you were just describing, the distinction on the one hand between eyeballs and results, and and on the other hand, the distinction between driving leads and meeting the customer where they are. So connect the dots for us on that. Sure. Uh, maybe I'll just start. So there are certainly a number of businesses where, you know, eyeballs or viewers are are the metric that matters. But I think in, in B2B um, and probably eventually in all markets, but in B2B, you know, the rubber meets the road with pipeline and dollars. And the thing about, you know, talking about dollars is you can have a conversation with a salesperson or with a board member and everyone understands dollars. If you start talking about some fancy marketing metrics, you probably might lose people or, you know, at best uh, get a cynical response. Yeah, I was going to um, I was going to jump in there and I think it's it's not that the activity isn't important. It's almost, you know, if if you want to be a world-class athlete, you've got to get up early, you've got to go to the track, you've got to put in a certain amount of effort to get there, but it's it's that end result that's in the top of your mind. So if you're driving your marketing team and you know, and I agree with Tim, it's like you can definitely talk about pipeline generation. There's obviously all the metrics we're looking at is how many people are coming to our website and, you know, what's going on in terms of Twitter followers and all those types of things. But that's, it's almost just, you know, that's not the end. It's almost, you, you've got to do those things knowing that those will result in that pipeline that then you have this common terminology that you can speak to. Um, and so it's, it's, I'd sort of say it, it gives us a much clearer focus because it, you could have a ton of users, you could have a ton of leads, you could have a lot of people loving you, but if no one actually buys, you know, we failed. And so I think it is sort of that, that you know, re-looking at everything with that in mind going, what's our conversion metrics down all the way down to pipeline as opposed to just pure lead gen? So they're important things to do, but it's the end that really matters. You know, I think the question that marketers always have is how do you draw a direct connection or link between marketing activities and sales results? We measure absolutely everything, right? And we look at cohort analysis down from where we saw a lead, what did they do last with us, how many touch points did they convert into an opportunity and into pipeline? And we just apply that, you know, you know, rigorously across across everything we do. So it's I don't think it's that hard to see now in terms of going, you know, there, there might not be this simple one-to-one correlation. They came to an event, they turned into pipeline, let's go do more of those events. It's a multi-touch uh, process. But with with the metrics that we're able to collect now, we can do a much better job of just looking at this whole influence pipe and where things are going. Right. There's, there's an old joke that uh, half of my marketing budget is driving business. I just don't know which half. And that's maybe the old way, right? Uh, and I totally agree that now, especially with a technology buyer, there are so many ways to track effectiveness all the way from that initial click through to a sale. So it's become a lot of fun and, and marketers in general are better armed to prove their worth, to really show the investment and the ROI on their marketing dollars than they ever have been. What is your relationship to sales? Say so we drive the car together. We, it feels like two in a box. I mean, I just came back from one of our events and uh, 
probably spent outside from the customers I met, probably spent most of the time with our, you know, sales VP, just trying to strategize what we do. So definitely feel like we we both we both got the same uh, same goals and both both in the same driving the car in the same direction. Right. We've we've got a good relationship as well, but there always is that tension between sales and marketing. And and usually, you know, one of two things is a scapegoat. The product doesn't work or the leads aren't any good. Um, in our case, you know, we go to great lengths to communicate directly with our sales VPs. And we actually, on a quarterly basis, sit down with them re- and review the pipeline by, by a, on a rep level. So we go rep by rep, region by region, and actually show them how we're helping to drive their business. And especially now that so much business is driven online, that, that's critical to show them that. What does sales say to you or ask of you? What kind of specific things do they want from you in terms of your marketing campaigns? Or do they not care as long as you're driving driving the results that they that they desire? I was gonna say I think from sales it's you, you can never have you can never have enough pipeline. So it's always hey what more can you do to generate even more pipeline? And and but it, what I'd say is um and maybe it's unique where where I am it, it's we feel like we go into this problem together as opposed to it, it's not like sales asking me to do like, hey let's let's strategize through things. Here's the data I get sales asking me for a lot more data, even the sales rep going, how many leads happened in my territory? What pipeline came from marketing source stuff? How can we help? And they have a lot of ideas. Um, I also sort of have the maybe unique res- responsibility of inside sales and this SDR team, the, the sort of telesales team reports into me. So I, I get a very easy way of testing out some marketing messages that do they work or don't they work? But I really feel we're trying to solve or you know solve this together, right? It, it, there isn't this adversarial sort of sales and marketing thing where we feel like we are pulling each other apart while we try and still try and beat a competitor. It's more like, how are we going to go after these competitors? What are we going to do to stand out? And, you know, and, and we have very frank conversations about, you know, which things worked in marketing, which things didn't, which sales reps are working, which sales reps aren't. And it's, it, that's why I feel like it's a partnership. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that, you know, certainly there are, there are no shortage of ideas coming in from the field. I get emails and texts every day, you know. Why don't we do this? Why aren't we doing that? Our competition is doing this. And so you, know, you can be overrun by ideas and some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. But again, that's where having a discussion uh, about the pipeline is critical because I can say, well, you know, you, your reps have more than they need. Why are we going to do more, for example? So it's helped me professionally and it's a fairly recent development for me to be able to talk about the business in terms of the pipeline and in terms of investment and have it at that level. Not, you know, why don't we go to this show or that show or advertise here or there? And that's, you can spend a lot of money and waste a lot of money and, and not hit your business goal. So trying to drive the conversation around investment and pipeline uh, as opposed to tactics. And I try, and there is a little bit of tension here. I do try and get our sales leaders to trust me to deliver a number to them and uh, less about giving me suggestions on the tactics. Tim, it sounds like the pipeline is your really primary reference point for evaluating everything that you're doing. Is that accurate? It's definitely true. And I, I may sound like a broken record bringing it up so often, but it's it's the commonality, right? Everyone can relate to it. Like I said, the sales team, sales management, executive management, the board. Um, and really at the end of the day, that that is our job, whether it's thinking about awareness or direct demand gen. If I'm not making the phone ring, so to speak, and driving leads that convert into opportunities for the sales team, I'm not doing my job. So why not talk about that most important thing first 
And if people want to know how I got there, then I'm happy to tell them about all the, you know, the inner workings of the marketing team. Yeah, I would, I would say, and I don't know whether it's the same for you, Tim, but I, what to me has sort of been sort of interesting on this, on this journey is pipeline can only be created by sales. So, you know, it's, and so you own, you own this goal and you focus 100% on this goal, but sales is the only people that can actually create pipelines. So you're giving them almost these sacrificial leads that, that you hope will turn into a pipeline, but going, hey, I'll take the goal that you guys, and I have no control of you creating, creating it. I think that puts, you know, to me, it, it was a, a huge change between sales and marketing when we started adopting that. They're like, wow, you prepare to put, you know, sort of your, your pocketbook where, where, you know, where reality is, as opposed to just hide behind this, you know, this perception that, you know, hey, you can create leads out of anything. We really don't care. Right. So going to pipeline and not being in control of creating the pipeline. Um, yeah, I think it, it definitely kept the teams a lot closer together. And there's a, a certain amount of trust you've got to have when you hand off a very good lead that becomes pipeline. And then the flip side is, you know, once they convert it to pipeline, it's then their responsibility and they're taking this really precious asset that you've created mm -hmm. and it's up to them. So you know, in a way, it's marketing being able to put a little bit of pressure on sales to say, I'm giving you something really good. You've accepted it. Mm -hmm. Now it's your responsibility as opposed to many times in my career, people have blamed, you know, really crappy leads or you know, no one wants to buy. Well, you've accepted it. You've created it right now. It's in your hands. What about the, uh, the tracking? So you've developed this great lead. You've handed it off to sales. Uh, how are you tracking the end to end process from the source of obtaining that lead what, to the point of the sale either closes or doesn't close? Yeah. And, and I'll just say to start, even with all the advances, uh, it, can, can be a challenge to really track something 100% accurately. And think about your own browsing habits. You know, one, one moment you're on your desktop, then you're on your mobile phone, maybe at home you're on your tablet. And so think about that kind of dynamic across maybe 10 people in a bank who's gonna buy your software. But that being said, you know, we do track uh, lead sourcing. So the first time we ever saw somebody, um, and then we do track all the touch points. And so you can, track all the touch points. And then the, the argument's always, well, which one of those touch points was the one that really converted them into a buyer? And, and that so-called lead attribution is actually very difficult to get right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but I, what I'd say is that we, we you know, I, I, I think on a, on a particular piece of pipeline or particular opportunity, knowing the exact, you know, which was the thing that, that turned them over. But I'd say the laws of averages is what I go by. I go, okay, we know if we get so many people into the pipeline to do this, we know in X number of days that, that this y, y percentage will convert. And so I think it's, um, you know, I'd sort of say we track everything. It's like, I, I mean, I almost feel like I'm always asking for, well, let's, let's also put another date timestamp on that field and see what happens there. And, and you know, I, my, well, my team and, and, and me personally, I spend an enormous amount of time just looking at the data, trying to see, is there some trend here that we're missing that, you know, that that you know maybe a another marketer hasn't seen, and I go, oh, this will give us a competitive uh, differentiator because it's not it's not by gut anymore. I sort of say it's a lot of data driven. Even though 100 agree with them, knowing exactly what was the thing that turned them over. I mean, you know, to our own buying habits. What what was the thing that made me go and buy those pair of sneakers? Was it because I saw the ad on TV a month ago? Yeah, I don't know. Right, that's true. And if I could just give you one anecdote. So my previous company. We had our technical team uh, use chat to deal with technical problems. Um, 
And uh, when I was looking at the data one day, I noticed all these leads where the, the lead source said chat. It turns out that our technical support team were terrible salespeople, right? They would barely answer the chats. But we realized that buyers, even of enterprise software, wanted to interact via chat. And in many cases, it was over the weekend. You would never thought that you would close a deal or initiate a deal on a Sunday. And so that led to uh, an experiment in a chat team and eventually a 24-7 chat team. And that became one of our most successful lead sources. And so really looking at that data and figuring out where your business is coming from is crucial for a modern CMO. Can we drill down a little bit into uh, those sources of leads since it's ultimately so crucial to, to both of you? So how do you think about, how do you structure your thinking around where, where are we going to do demand gen? Where, where is that demand going to come from? Yeah. So at the highest level, you know, we look at, you know, marketing sourced, sales sourced, and in our case, channel source. We have resellers who sell our products. And then within marketing, uh, it, at the very highest level, we look at events, we look at online, and then we look at uh, direct marketing. And then you can kind of, within each one of those, you can kind of break them down further. But those are the high level categories. Yeah, I think ours is similar. I'd, I'd sort of say, obviously, a strong proponent of ours come from the open source community. So community driven uh, interactions. And I think, you know, for all of these things, I, I'd almost say that the thing we focus the most on is content being king. People come to our website, people come here because there's interesting content. And so you've done a ton of SEO and you become sort of a, you know, you just live SEO and you try and, you know, deconstruct how Google does its rankings because that's what drives people to, to start expressing interest. And then we go and, you know, to, you know, where they are at the moment, right? Whether they're going to this event or that event, we go and meet with them on the floor and that, but usually that's not the first time they've ever seen us. They've heard of us, they've seen us somewhere else. And I, I think it all goes back to having a strong content strategy, but that's also tied very, you know, keenly into a strong SEO. Content without SEO doesn't exist. So content and SEO, are those the kind of top of funnel points for you? Yes. Yeah, so you asked me earlier about uh, what I meant by meeting the buyer, um, you know, when they're ready to research or buy. And so, uh, you know, Mark was just talking about that. So having the right um, piece of content, you know, you, you can think of like uh, your own searches. How do I do this? How do I do that on a business level? So having whether it's a blog post or an ebook or a video that answers a question and, and leads someone toward registering on your site uh, as a lead. So that's crucial to have the right content at the top of the funnel. And then as Mark said, you know, you have to reverse engineer how somebody buys, right? What is it that they're looking to do, you know, at the very beginning when they're looking to buy something like your product, right? What's the question they're asking? And most importantly, what's the Google search or the phrase that they're typing in and how do you make sure you're there? And, you know, there's a lot of technicality in how you do that, but it's a really important thing in today's, uh, today's digital marketing. Yeah, and I'd just say that the, the other piece um, is giving them the right content in the right format. So we find a lot of people like to read it in, you know, on a website, just sort of as, as either a blog or a piece of documentation. But more and more, we see people, oh, why isn't this up on YouTube? Why isn't this up on SlideShare? Why isn't this in someone else's blog or somewhere else? And so it's almost finding the buyers where they are. And, you know, obviously trying to get them back to, you know, tell them about our stuff, but more and more importantly, it's just trying to find out what mediums that, that the stuff is being consumed in. So, you know, I know this, you know, our video here is out on, on Twitter and stuff. You know, Twitter is a huge um, interaction mechanism for us because 
you know, you just get a lot of people telling you their real thoughts about what the product's like, especially when something goes wrong. It's like, first thing you do is you go to Twitter and tell the world what the problem is, but you've got to engage with them wherever they are. I mean, I found the same thing with, with YouTube, found the same thing with SlideShare and a couple of these other mediums where you just go and say, hey, it's, you know, things are already out there. The audience is already out there. Let's go be there with the audience as opposed to forcing always the audience back to us. We have a couple of questions from Twitter, and why don't we why don't we take those now? So the first question is from Arsalan Khan, and he's asking, he's an IT guy, and he's asking, does IT ever help in terms of this demand gen process? And if so, could they or what could IT do? Sure. Um, well, first I'll say that there is a booming area known as Martech, marketing technology. So there's just a lot more software than there's ever been before to track your buyer mm-hmm. from every which way. Uh, and certainly now, you know, we have what's called marketing operations, which is kind of one step away from IT. But we do work very closely with our IT team to do all the integrations, right? Um, tracking all that data, analyzing all that data, storing all that data. Um, you know, I read recently that the CMO has become the second biggest buyer of technology behind the CIO. So certainly we're kind of moving in that direction. Yeah, I'd sort of agree. I, I think what, um, and whether it's just traditional IT or there's this, you know, almost become shadow IT inside of marketing. I mean, you know, we're, you know, we're a smallish company, so we don't really have a big segmentation, but we also find sort of just people building our product is another source of information for the content, right? So we're also tracking how long, you know, how many queries did someone write in our, in our product? How long did it take them to get, you know, to get up and running? Did they stop using for the past four days? Because it's all part of that nurture stream. So I'd sort of say marketing has become just embedded in every aspect, including IT, that it just be, you know, I always just joke inside the company that everyone's in marketing. I don't care what you do. You're in marketing because you're trying to try and find more of those eyeballs. And so, you know, IT is a critical part or at least understanding of how the systems work are critical, even though it wouldn't be a traditional IT group in in sort of the, the old world. Right. The, the other thing I'll just add is, you know, if, if you're uh, selling to IT, which I, I do, right, and you sell to developers, but, you know, just to click yep. away, it's interesting. You could actually go downstairs and talk to your IT team and find out how do they research when they're buying something? What do they look at? What mediums do they use? So it's interesting. You could actually do some some market mm-hmm. research, so to speak, inside your own building with the IT team. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go on to a couple of other questions that are coming in. Uh, so Shelly Lucas asks at Pisa Rose asks, what is the most uh, challenging or difficult thing about being a marketing leader today? You know, obviously hitting the numbers is sort of maybe just tongue in cheek if you don't hit your pipeline numbers, but it's it's providing the the smarts and the visibility into where to go next. I, I think that's you know, and and I think that's sort of a huge challenge as we sort of you know, there's other smart people out there. It's a very competitive market. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of VC money being thrown at a lot of different problems. And so I feel perpetually it's, a, you know, um, only the paranoid survive. I mean, you can, you know, I, you know, say to my team the whole time is that we can do better here. We, and so it's driving the team, I'd sort of say, is, is one of the things. And then finding the right people to be part of your group, I'd sort of I'd put at the top of all of those. It's it's growing the team in, in the right way to be able to hit the numbers with the right members because, you know, a bad hire, it's it's just really taxing on the system. And so we spend a lot of time worrying about who we're hiring, how do we onboard them, and you know, and, and how do they become part of the fabric of our of our uh, of our company and definitely part of our marketing team. 
I agree with that. There's definitely, you know, now a very specific uh, pressure on hitting the number, the pipeline number, which we've, I guess, brought upon ourselves. But yeah. <laughs> I, I think, right, I think, uh, especially, especially in tech, and this is a little different than uh, consumer goods. One thing that is a challenge that we strive to do is really bring, you know, market intelligence uh, and vision into the company. It sounds funny to say, because after all, marketing comes to the word market. But really understanding the market and providing that back to the company is something that is not as common here because quite often in Silicon Valley, you've got a technical founder, maybe a sales leader, and, and that's the source of this data. But really going out and understanding the buyer and the market is something that a lot of marketers don't do, ironically enough. That's interesting and kind of, in a, in a way, a little bit shocking at the same time. <laughs> we have another question from Twitter, and Gus Beckdash asks... He says a lot of companies, he, he finds that folks are fixated on tactical marketing, which is promotion leads, messaging, really the tactics, but not enough on strategic marketing. What are the products segments that our focus as a business should be on? And how can we correct that to ensure that there's a greater focus on the strategic aspects of this? Yeah, that's what I was, was just touching on. You know, how do you bring that insight into the company? So, for example, here we're beginning, and honestly, we've had a lot of uh, the last year or so really focused on making sure the demand engine was there and the awareness engine was there. But now we're doing more things like uh, market research, right? What are the markets bringing that data forward into the conversation? Things like persona research, going out and doing interviews. So bringing those insights back, I'm, I'm not going to design a product, but I can tell people what markets look promising, what buyers are saying. So I think as a marketer, if you provide that information and provide that data into the conversation, then marketing has a more strategic role in the direction of the company. Yeah, I agree. I think, and, and I think the thing to me that sort of is, is bringing that data back. So it's, it's doing those, you know, we, we sort of do sort of customer advisory councils or surveys of the customer and bring it back going, hey, customers are looking for this. This is an adjacent space. This is what we'd need to get into there. But it's not I sort of say we marketing has maybe done itself a disservice in the past as it would be, oh, here's the strategic thing. Why? Oh, because, you know, it just sounds like it's a good idea. It's coming back with some of that data and saying, hey, this is what we're seeing out here. This is, this is what we think we could address. And then, you know, I spend a lot of time also with our product management group trying to define, you know, and prioritize what, what's needed next in the product because of what we see. Because I think, you know, you, you can just get so caught up in the day-to-day -day thing. And, and I sort of agree with, you know, with the person on Twitter that, you know, hey, you forget about doing the, the strategic stuff. But I feel there's some partners that you have inside the company. I feel like I have definitely product management is a huge partner of ours to go and say, hey, this is what we're seeing. What are you seeing? How do we go, go after there? And our CTO, same type of thing. They spend an odd amount of time as well as our sales engineers at customer sites. And so it gives us a much better grasp of, of maybe some of these more adjacent futures that we can go 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 in, and but it's all back to bringing data to the to the to the table as opposed to just pure gut feel. That's right. I agree with that. Marketing has a lot of data, and just share it. Mm -hmm. uh, use that uh, to your advantage, right? To to get your point of view across. To what extent are you spending time and resources calibrating on an ongoing basis? Who are we selling to in a broad level, defining our segments and markets, like we were just saying? versus the tactical efforts of, you know, counting page views, counting leads, things like that? I'd say so we spend a lot, of, a lot of time creating the systems to count page views and all the rest. So uh, I'd say there's an, 
there's sort of the startup cost of, of creating a metrics-driven marketing group, right? It's, you know, it's bringing in the right tools to do that. It's, put, it's hooking them all up together. It's coming up with a common way of thinking about it. But once that's done, it, it feels that just becomes a very much more of a, an execution engine. Go, go drive this. Let's go do a couple more things like this. And we spend more of our, you know, maybe higher order bit of, of our sort of brain worrying about where are we going next and that type of thing. And so sort of there's a startup cost. And then that becomes more just sort of an engine that we spend a bit more time then thinking and spend more of, I'd sort of say, definitely of, of my time and sort of the, maybe the senior members of my time thinking a little bit more of where are we going as opposed to what's happening now. Yeah, you know, there's, there's an expression, another old marketing expression, you know, nothing important happens inside the building. And I'd say that one thing we don't do enough and we have to keep reminding ourselves to do is get out there, mm-hmm. get out to a trade show, go, go on a customer call, you know, however you can get it, go to a focus group, just get out there and understand and really meet the buyers where they are. You know, one thing that I realize is how few marketers have ever actually, in some cases, met a customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if they have, how often have they actually gone to their place of work and understood what their day-to-day looks like, right? What their environment is like, uh, mm-hmm. what kind of pressures they're under. And so that's, to me, really good marketing. And um, I'll say that we always have to uh, p- take a pause and, and force ourselves to get out there as we get caught up in the day-to-day. So it's a really important thing to remind yourself to do. I wish I could do more of it, honestly. Is there some sort of discipline that you can use to enforce that outside-in thinking into marketing teams? I'll just tell you, uh, we've, we've done a couple of fun exercises. So um, I have something that I call Be the Buyer Day, and we do it once a year. So once a year, we drop everything, and we act like a customer of our product. And we do our online research. We go to websites of us and our competitors. Um, you know, we call in. You know, we're, we disclose who we are, but we try and find out what it's like to be a customer. And that's really interesting because then you see how good or not you are, uh, as well as your competition. And it just kind of puts the marketers in a mindset. So that's a pretty easy day long exercise where you can divide up your competition or divide up your product line. And it's fun to kind of have the marketers report back, you know, what it's actually like to be on the other side and try and buy your product. I really like that. We haven't done that. I might, I might steal that idea. Um, I, you know, I sort of say ours has not been maybe as formally applied as that. I, I can tell you that for everyone on the team, you know, we, we all do booth duty, right? We all get to the trade shows. We all stand in the booth. Nothing's beneath anyone. I mean, it's, you know, definitely as a startup, but it's, it gets people out there having to tell the story to see if they can actually, you know, have the, the guts to tell the story and then get the tough questions back and go, well, I, I don't, don't have an answer to that. What, you know, that didn't work at all. And so, I, you know, it's, 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 sort of say it's almost like having that mentality by doing what you preach. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm out there as well doing the thing. It's not, you know, and I think that make people, but I, I do like your idea, Tim, of going, hey, be a buyer for the day. I'm, I'm definitely going to steal that one. I like it. It's shocking <laughs> what you'll find. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. So one of the things that I've observed working with many, many, many software companies over the years, both uh, really large software, the largest ones, as well as smaller ones, is what seems to happen is it's very hard for software companies to tell their story without sort of falling into sounding like a brochure And then what happens is customers, the buyers, tend to then discount the content coming out of the software company because they say, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, their infomercial, no matter what they say. 
Yeah. We have a, uh, in our style guide, we have a list of forbidden words. So state of the art, cutting edge, right? Um, those kinds of things. Cause you know, you, you start speaking in this jargon and you kind of think like, can't they just speak English to me? But it's actually in some cases a sign that the marketers aren't very good writers. So you can't express the idea without using some modifier like cutting edge. Uh, and so, uh, we do challenge our writers to write like humans uh, in clear English without modifiers. It, it's We're trying to stand out. You asked about standing out. That's one way to stand out is just have a clear message in plain English that people can understand. Um, that helps. Yeah, I'd say for us, um, because, because we may be a you know, developer and open source based and so it's a very, very technical influencer audience. I mean, they might be, not be the, the person that has the check. Um, we've got to really stay clear of, you know, any of the thing, you know, market leading and any sort of the, you know, you know, things that we talked about in the style guide there. But I'd say what we've done is we we almost describe the product through the lens of the customer. So we'd rather go and take a lot of, I'd sort of say, customer-driven marketing. We go and listen to the customer story. We write up the customer story. And then we use snippets of that to tell the story because we go, then it's, then it's authentic because, you know, what, what I found was, you know, you try and speak as a marketeer and, and we all sound the same, right? The market leading this, we've all done this, it's great. And there's just this rolling of the eyes. And I think this is what gives marketing its, its bad rep. I mean, I'm chatting with the developer on a show last week and he goes, you know, well, I, I hate marketing people. I said, well, I'm a marketing person, you know, and he goes, oh, but you gave me a shirt. So that's okay. Um, so there are other bribes that we do to sort of get to the audience, but it gets down to giving back to that, you know, strong believer on content is king and it's got to be that relevant content because there's just too much of it out there where people don't buy off brochures anymore. They don't buy from what, what's written on the website. They're asking their peer groups. They're saying they're going to shows, seeing what the competitors have got. And you've got to, you've got to just be very authentic. And, and I think also tell people about some of the problems that we do this. We're really bad at doing that. So, you know, I think that's always a big challenge, especially you get some, you know, very aggressive, new marketeer and you go, hey, we're going to say what we don't do. Oh, wow. I, I haven't had that before. What's the antidote to that? I think that part of the issue in technology is that we don't do a very good job with our brand, right? Who are we? What do we stand for? And so you end up with a lot of uh, me tooism in the writing and the messaging. And as opposed, I'm a big admirer of consumer goods because I love, you know, for example, I'm a big fan of Yeti coolers. Amazing. That's a cooler works better, but how they do their marketing is just so different and refreshing than any other cooler. I think that in technical marketing, there are only a very few companies, and Apple's always the example that comes up, that really have their own very unique brand, which is not just their identity, but the way they talk about what they do. So I think that's the answer. And I think that's a, a wake-up call for heads of marketing and tech in particular. But any market that's commoditized or you know very competitive, that's a B2B market, how do you stand out? What are you even saying? What do you, and if you, don't, if you don't understand that, you're not going to be able to teach your writers how to be unique without that understanding of who you really are, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the, the other thing that jumped to mind to me is, is we do a lot of, so just, I mean, back to sort of data analysis of, you know, what people do, how many, you know, are they coming to the page that you've written about? You know, is, is there sort of, is that content making a difference? Because I think a lot of, mark, you know, marketeers are, are sort of feel like they are, gold on word counts and not on page view counts, right? Mm -hmm. And I go, hey, I don't care if it's, you know, 100 words or 1,000 words. It really doesn't matter. If it's not having an impact, let's just rather throw out that page and get rid of it. it. You know, you might think it's a wonderful piece, but if it's not giving any sort of, you know, clarity out there, 
it's it's a total waste of time because I, I do think it is tough in the B2B world because you know, you know, one database looks very similar to another database and it's and you gotta just go and try and find that essence, go and find your sort of brand value and essence and, and describe it out there in in the words of your buyer, right? I think it's again, it's you know, if we, this is market is a sort of competition for eyeballs of a particular type, and my my type would be of you know, let's say a, a developer or a DevOps person. I've got to speak in their in their terminology. I can't speak in product marketing or marketing terminology. That they, they, you know, otherwise you do just get this generic piece of thing that you've got ten thousand words and no one came. As we finish up, we have just a few minutes left. Let me ask you for each of you for advice that you can share for mid-level marketers who uh, want to become CMO and who want to do a better job, uh, sort of sum up everything you know in a way. Yeah, for, for me, it would be be bold and be prepared to fail. I think the, the lessons that, that I've learned as a marketer have, have come from trying new things and a lot of them don't work. And so I think it's, it's showing that boldness and that tenacity and then coming, if, if you're trying to move up and change, coming back to your manager with data. Uh, to me, data wins anyone over. You can have theory, but if I come and go and say, hey, we've implemented this chat feature and it's converted this number of leads, people are going to say, wow, okay, that's something to look at. Whereas, oh, I think chat would be a great thing. I think it's more become a doer and, and let data be sort of your, your resume. I would add to that, you should bring a knowledge of the buyer in the market. If you want to move uh, beyond being a director up to a VP or a CMO, you've got to bring that market understanding and the buyer understanding into the conversation to have that strategy that's going to help you propel your company. So that, for me, you could be as technical as you want, but without that understanding, you're never going to have that seat at the table to really start directing where the company's going. And you can do that by talking to sales, talking to customers, you know, talking to analysts. But you know, if you're not that person, you're just going to be a mid-level event or demand person forever, which is fine. But if you really want to move up, you've got to bring that strategy. Maybe just tongue in cheek, I think. And then also realize, you know, it's uh, being a CMO isn't as um, maybe as great as maybe you think it is. It's, you know, it, it's having a goal, as we talked about, that you're not in control of. It's having everyone think that they can do a better job than you because everyone can do marketing. <laughs> and it's having the backbone to stand behind that, right? So, I mean, I think there is sort of this, uh, be careful what you wish for on this on this journey. That's a good point. All right. Well, we are out of time. It's been a very, very fast 45 minutes today. You have been watching CXO Talk. We've been speaking with Tim Matthews, who is the CMO of Exabeam, and Mark Herring, who is the CMO of Influx Data. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time and for being with us here today. It's been a really interesting conversation. Everybody? Be sure to come back next week, subscribe on YouTube, and subscribe to our newsletter at cxotalk.com slash subscribe. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.